Hello, and welcome to episode number 265 of the Apple Podcast. I am your host, Simon Head. This podcast is brought to you by AIXDSP.com, affordable and useful plugins. Get the IC Intuition Compressor. It's a compressor that gives you a clear and intuitive visual display that shows exactly what is happening to your audio at all times. I have it. It's awesome. I use it every day. Using it right now. Click the link in the description for more information. Thank you, Amazon shoppers, for shopping on Amazon, supporting the show. And you too can do the same thing by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash US Amazon. You can go the old-fashioned way by going to applelog.ca and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, Canada, United States, or the UK. Bookmark the links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use those links to shop and support the show. Cost you no extra money. I'd like to thank... Everybody who's helping me out on Patreon, you too can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting to help with hosting and gas fees. And you can cancel it any time. Go buy a t-shirt, applog.ca slash shop. New ones coming soon. Uh, so iTunes, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give it five stars, please. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash pod. Follow me at Twitter at SimonHead666. Whew. That was tough. Jason Navarro is the lead singer and the original member of The Suicide Machines. They originally formed in 1991 as Jack Kevorkian and The Suicide Machines. The first Suicide Machines album came out in 1996. They were and are a fixture in the Detroit punk rock scene. They broke up in 2006. They performed a bunch of reunion shows. Their new album titled Revolution Spring is out on Fat Records as of now, I think. If it's not now, it'll be very soon. Go to Fat Records. And go figure out what they are, uh, what's happening with that Suicide Machines record. I'm going to play about three songs on this album. There's about 20 of them because they're like a minute and a half long. And it's a, it's a banger. It's a great record. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jason Navarro, lead singer, The Suicide Machines on the Apple Podcast. It's been a while since you guys put a record out, right? Yeah. Like, how many years now? Uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, I don't know. You know, I guess uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, a big part of the problem was is most of the reasons all the people left over the years the band, no one liked our guitar player. So it's hard for me to keep people in the band. Oh, I'm just being honest. I actually like our guitar player, but I couldn't. I knew him. I've known him for a long time, so I kind of grew up with him and I understand him. But most people couldn't hang, so that's why we lost members all the time, you know. And this time around, we had the drummer of my other band, Hellmouth, uh, who was a great guitar player and kind of came up in, I guess you could say that Scott punk scene, maybe the '90s era though. Mm-hmm. That stuff without a problem so him being a good friend and in the family he kind of just filled in and then everyone's like oh the problem's gone yeah you know plain and simple well yeah it's you know it's it's tough with with bands that have been around a while the luggage is pretty it's pretty enormous and dealing with interpersonal relationships and the old cliche of being married to three different dudes um yeah yeah 
it's always a struggle to, well, I mean, a lot of the reasons like say the Bon Jovi's in the world are like Bon Jovi's is because they can buy their way out of that situation. Like it just means another tour bus. Uh, you know what I mean? Different hotel, yeah, different city. You know, if you got to bunk up with people that you're really not getting along with, unless you're not, you know what I mean? There's a sacrifice people make and sometimes it's the sacrifice is too much. Yeah, man. It's, uh, and it's weird being in a band that is actually functioning as really good friends, or at least for the suicide machines, because it never functioned like that, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. There's always some sort of issue with someone from the beginning on. And for once, that's not really the case right now. So it's it's a new uh, new little bit of new territory for this band. That's cool. I actually get along well, surprisingly. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's good. It's amazing. The um, Is there any... There's tours. Is there touring in the forecast? I guess not now, not right now. Yeah, I mean, we will go out and play. I mean, we were supposed to tour the West Coast in the end of summer, beginning of fall, and then uh, we have we're supposed to go to Europe as well. Uh, but everything else that we had up until like June, you know, it's all gone. So yeah, the industry's yeah, the industry's dead right now. It's um, it's it's really tough. Like I've been speaking, I spoke to. Uh, Paul McKenzie from Real McKenzie's and they, had to, they were in Alberta, like ready to play the first show of their tour canceled. They had to drive home, you know, and that's nobody really thinks about the bands that play in clubs and larger clubs and that it's hand to mouth. It's always hand to mouth in that situation. Yeah. You know, the funny part is I think that there's a good possibility. I went to the very last show that even happened in Detroit, <laughs> uh, the Pilfers from New York city. And then it was like, they were already playing past when the whole city was shutting down, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and after that, that's it. You know, I feel, I feel awful for bands that have to rely on this as their living, I guess, or their main source of income. I mean, the four of us all work jobs where well, I mean, I lost my job last week because of the virus. So I guess I don't work anymore, but like, you know, I've had a job, the same job for like, you know, 14 years. All the guys in my band are, everyone has jobs. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about it being an income. I feel bad for everyone else that's in the like the industry or whatever you want to call it, or punk bands that rely on, you know, that sort of thing as income. It's scary for them. I feel, I feel awful. You know? Yeah. Well, the focus of this show has been mostly about this, you know, and hopefully someone will listen back to this in a year from now and go, oh, yeah, I remember that being tough, and now we're through it. Because it's a lot of people, like, say, there's no real end to this. Like, no one, even though they say they're giving dates, because I, I work in a venue, too, and they're giving us dates that you're like, oh, come on, let's be realistic. Let's really look at this objectively. Because you're saying June 1st, and now you're saying July 3rd. Make a date. Let's say it's September 1st. And then that way everybody can just prepare, hunker down, do what they got to do, and then wait till the 1st, because they'll know that's the hard date. Yeah, sure. You know, that's the problem. Like, yes, this virus is killing a lot of people, but the weird thing about this virus is it's it's easily killed. Yeah. I mean, you can just wash your hands for butter and soap and it'll kill it, right? Yeah. So it's an easy virus to kill. But, I mean, there will be an end time, but, I mean, no one can really guess what that end time is going to be because it got so big and out of control. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say. Yeah, and the way governments are generally handling it, it's it goes from country to country and you know, I don't know if the States is really, I think the States is sort of more worried about getting people back to work. I mean, it's obviously a valid point. People need to work. And if you're, if you're careful, like my, my business where I work, we have contractors come through and we make sure they fill out these forms and do things they're supposed to do. And it seems like a complete pain in the ass, but it's like, come on, 
we're all dealing with this. This is one of those things where we actually, everybody in the world is dealing with the same thing, right? Like it's pretty rare. Yeah, it's really rare. You know, um, well, you know, you got to remember America, you know, these people are going to start freaking out as soon as it gets really bad as far as, you know, the stock market and all these big, huge corporations and everyone being out of work and then the welfare systems completely bogged, unemployment is completely bogged down. It's the most it's ever had, you know, and some man, you know, Donald Trump flips and loses his mind because he's starting to lose so much money, you know, with all those companies he's not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's only a matter of time. And it will be completely against if you know, Fauci even says or any of those people. He really, he'll, he won't care. He'll do what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you do, there man? you go. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, everybody shrugs hey, their not, shoulders. I'm, Just, I'm, you know, my um, Sandra lost her job. I lost my job. I mean, we're squatting our house, basically. Yeah. Well, you have to, you know, it's, yeah, like I said, we're all, everybody's in some capacity dealing with and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like the whole social distancing thing, it's like, it really blows people, it blows me away because there's, you can tell the people that don't give a fuck about it. They're like, ah, you know what I mean? And then there's the people that are like, give you like a 90 foot berth as you're walking down the sidewalk and, and, uh, you know, you can't be too, you know, you can't. You know, I don't you know. I part of me thinks, is this anything really? Is this media driven? And probably yes, yes it is. But there's also a very, very like John Prine died. That's bad. John Prine dies, it's, uh, and uh, you know, it's it affects people differently, right? Some people get it, and some people don't, and some people carry it. It's it's spooky. Yeah, yeah. I think a big problem with humanity in general is becoming the lack of respect and more so the side of selfishness that everybody takes. Yeah. And that's a huge problem, man. And that's a big part of what you're seeing with what's going on right now, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. There is a, there is a social, the it's broken. The social, you know, empathy seems to be dead in the world. It doesn't seem to really exist anymore. And you try to be empathetic with people but then you turn around you look at them and they look at you and go like whatever i don't care about you and you're like what really and that feeds it you know what i mean it's like because everybody as who's above a certain age or has a certain lack like understanding of oneself looks out and goes we gotta we gotta fix this somehow we gotta fix this and if it means waiting in line if it means taking your time to you know let someone in front of you that's all it takes it's just a, a little bit of empathy yeah you know it's not hard i mean I've been working with the homeless for kind of a while, you know, and I almost wonder if it'd be a good idea to do either when you're in high school or say community service via getting in trouble <laughs> that you actually, you know, work with the homeless or something instead of, you know, picking up the side of the freeway or going to report to your probate and all that stuff. Like it'll kind of show you maybe how to interact with people and maybe learn some empathy or at least understand how to listen to people a little more you know sometimes uh when you're when i'm out there working with the homeless i it's more like they need someone to talk to than they're caring about getting food you know what i mean and yeah. i think maybe there just needs to be i think more people would be more empathetic into their 20s if somehow via their high school or their 
you know, or their church or, or whatever, or if they get in trouble with the law, that they go and do something like that. And maybe it'll at least open, you know, even if it's only 10% of those people, at least 10 more percent of people who, who care. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You actually care about other human beings. Yeah. I have two kids in, in school, one in high school, one in public school, and they actually have volunteer hours they have to fill to be able to graduate like grade eight or eighth grade. <laughs> they have to, um, to do a certain amount of volunteer, whether it be work at the anywhere, you know, you're volunteering, but my, you know, my son worked at the food bank and sort of understands like, and right now this is the time when people need it the most. And, you know, I live in a sort of a country neighborhood type of thing, but we have our, everybody has their problems. It's like, it's, the rich folk have it as much now as this is the poor folk. And this is one of those weird, like I said before, it's one weird occasion. We're all on the same page. We're all fearing and like sort of wondering what the next thing is, what's going to, what's going to happen. You know, I've always said, this is the part of the movie that they're going to edit out because it's, it's kind of boring really, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of boring and we'll get through it. You know what I mean? Who wants to wants a happy ending? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. That's true. You know, you know, the, you know, like I said, man, like, this virus it has an end time, you know, and it's going to take a few years. It's always going to be around just like every virus we have, you know, but yeah. it's like I said before, I mean, hot water and soap, yeah. it, it dies after only a little bit of time outside of the body. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's easy to kill. It's just insanely, and it even sits inside of your system for a while before it really can kick in. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Got way out of control, you know, so it does have an end time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a positive. Uh, as far as separating it from the rich and the poor, and everyone's in it, everyone is in it. But I think the rich have a little bit of the upper hand. So when I see people like Madonna taking a bath in like rose petals, talking <laughs> about how she's the same as we are. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but you can swear. You know, yeah, swear away. Uh, I did. <laughs> she can fuck right off because she's fucking rich pig. Yeah. But, you know, there's also, there's a, it really shows like what type of, when you talk about those super, like, you know, famous people, um, there are some people doing like some pretty amazing things like Rosie O'Donnell is giving like shit tons of money to a bunch of people and it's all their money. But it's like, I never found out about that until I read about it rather than her spouting off. Like I, she gave millions to the Katrina relief, you know, and you're like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of nice. That's, you know, you got money and. You know, there's obviously there's a left and a left side and a right side to the to super famous people, but yeah, I'm I pretty much imagine that Madonna's like Covet, like what what Corona, what like what are you talking about? Like I've been sitting in my palace, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, that's not me pointing a line between rich and poor. I'm just saying right now they'll they'll have an easier time staying away from it and surviving it. Yeah. That being said, there's plenty of rich people in the world that are great, and you, you have people like that that have to go online and make some sort of weird speech in a bathtub full of rose petals about how she's the same as us now. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's absolutely beyond the point of ridiculousness to me. Like, it's something you would see in a bad movie not knowing what the end is yet. You know? Oh, absolutely. I'm going to play a song, if that's okay, but I just realized yeah. that I didn't arm the track, so i got to stop it for a sec. I don't forget to do that. So anyways, uh, new record, it's out. Is it out now? It out yeah, it came out, oh, came out a week ago. A week ago. Okay, cool. Yeah. And my favorite on this right now is the Trapped in a, uh, in a Bomb. It's a great song. It's sort of, it feels like it's sort of an encapsulating kind of song. It's sort of all the stuff of the record all seems to sort of meet there. If that, is that a pretty bad assumption? Fair assumption? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean that's that's your assumption. Yeah. I I don't know. I never thought of the record in that sort of way, but it's a it's a hard song to sing, man. It's about a really close friend of mine in this situation. So maybe about half of the verse and just start crying and had to stop. You know, oh. I mean, it was, it was definitely one I had to get used to singing. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, here it is. Song's over. So we're talking about Detroit, uh, and we're talking about yeah. St. Andrews Hall. Um, you're, just, you're telling me you worked there in the 90s as well as like just not even that long ago, right? Yeah, I worked there in uh, 90, 91, and then uh, I worked there about three and a half years ago for a while, about a year and a half, two, something like that, two years. So, Yeah. yeah. yeah I, last time I was there was with, is probably around 2001 or two, so mm-hmm. it's been a while. And when I was there, I was there with Sum 41 and Bowling for Soup were opening. Or no, we were opening for Bowling for Soup. And um, there was this crazy rumor ran around that Eminem had died in a car crash leaving St. Andrew's Hall. So it was this, hmm. it was a total hoax. And it was like, people, That's funny. people were freaking out. Like, first of all, I was like, was he, he was there apparently. That was the thing that made everybody sort of freak out. Like, oh my God, he's died and it's our fault. And, and, you know. Detroit's jewel has been ripped. You know, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. What do you want me to say? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and uh, I, I was there. I've been there a bunch of times. I did I did a few shows in the basement. I forget what that place was called. Um, shelter. Yeah, Shelter. That's right. I was there with us and a few. Uh, I was there with Voivod. And we did, uh, I think it was upstairs. Was it upstairs? And I can't remember who we were opening for. That what was year, your, was it, it was in the nineties. It would have been ninety, was eight ninety nine. Uh, okay, I saw SNFU probably 
last time I probably saw them as a band was maybe 1989. Right. At St. Andrews upstairs. Well, that was the reunion tour. That would have been the reunion tour, right? I think it was. I have no idea. Man. Or maybe not. No, that might have been their last tour. But when they did, uh, when we were there, I was sorry, I was there with us in a few in 95. And we did the shelter, and it was on. Was it on voted? I think it was on the on one most voted likely to succeed. And I think we went through again for a few laba, which was cool. the epitaph years of of SNFU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. There's some great songs on the epitaph years. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure. the only keyboard player. I play keyboards on uh, on one of the songs on few laba. Yeah, yeah. I played on Bobbit. Um, I play in this uh, pop punk band called Break Anchor. And we did an acoustic set with Chai Pig and uh, at the Collie office in London. Oh, cool, cool, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got to meet him and stuff and sit down and eat some French fries. Who did he have <laughs> teeth back then? Uh, I think he still had some teeth. It was a while ago. I was, you know, he's definitely a lot older, but you know, he was actually really nice, man. Yeah, he's very nice. I saw him. I saw him in Vancouver in February, just just past February. And I bought some art from him. He's been selling art at a at a place called Pub. Uh, was it three nine four? But he just sits in the corner and draws, and people buy art from him. Yeah, he's he's, he's definitely uh he's definitely uh made an impact on me. You know, when I saw him in eighty nine or whatever it was, he was like one of the probably top ten front men I've ever or front people or whatever mm-hmm. I've ever seen even in a punk band. He was wild man. It was great. Yeah. yeah. And they were like machines, man. They were they were like you you the first shows I did with him to the lab, we did like thirty days in a row and his voice every time, no problem, start to finish. And he didn't drink back then, so it was a lot a lot more uh, professional. But SNFU was like turning on a light bulb, like poop for like ninety minutes and then they'd switch off and yeah. Yeah, dude, he was jumping off the like the PA stacks at St. Andrews Hall, which are not short. He's climbing up, I'm jumping off him. I was just like, yeah, this, this is one of the best singers I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Suicide Machines have been, yeah, you know, obviously in the in that punk sort of, that that scene for so many years that do you find yourself going, do you still go to shows? Like, is this a thing that you, is this, yeah? Um, It either has to be a newer band that I haven't seen yet that I really am getting into. Yeah. If they come through town i'll go uh i booked shows for a long time at a at mainly at a squat here in detroit and uh and i just man i got burnt out on booking shows you know what i mean and yeah. so probably about five or six years ago about six years ago i stopped booking shows because i i one i just between my job and booking shows and my other bands like i had no time to really promote it anymore and go to all the other shows to promote so i was still doing it old school flyering no matter what and uh yeah dude so it was it was something that i had i ended up chilling out on because i just was doing it so much man so i yeah, i still do go to shows but like mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot less than it used to be you know yeah squats punk shows at squats i haven't heard of that this on this side of the atlantic usually it's an italian thing or something where you know where uh, you're touring in italy and it's like yeah, this is uh, we. I I toured over there a few times, and we opened up for uh, the Weaker Dance on a few shows, and uh, we played this Italian punk rock squat, and they were like celebrating an anniversary because the cops had busted it like five years before, and it was like mm-hmm. an anarchist like total, like and there was food, and it was a great place, and they set it up really good, you know. So 
when you did this, is the squat still around that you're doing? Oh yes, for sure, man. If you look at the new suicide machine video, that's is there. That's what it is. It's it's, it's called the yeah. I don't really want to talk about it. We kind of tried to keep it off the radar. Oh yeah, bit, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's been there since I was a kid. Like I remember going to shows probably ninety ninety one there before it was really a name. Everyone just called it what the house was on the street. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And but uh, it has a pole barn built under the back of it. Oh, okay. With a stage and a PA and bathroom built in and all that stuff, you know, so still going strong. There was a great place in Lawrence, Kansas that was like in the middle of a farm field, and I forget what it was called. I think it was called The Outhouse or something like that. I, I've heard of it. Yeah. My friend's been King for a day, played there, I'm pretty sure. And you come in, it's like cornfields, <laughs> and you're driving through, like, I think we're lost, and then all of a sudden you see the Mohawk, and you're like, oh, we're here. Yeah. We're in the right spot. That's definitely got to be it, so I remember them telling me about it. <laughs> And when we got there, they were like, oh, shit, it rained. So they got to get squeegees and just get squeegee all the water out of the place because it was full of water. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like my shit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, like, I mean, you, you put a band together a long time ago and you're still doing it. And it seems to be like an actual, to me, it's for the love now, right? Yeah. I mean, that was couple people asked me in interviews recently because they're pretty stoked on the record and i was just like i don't think there was just any pressure there like we don't it's not a band that is our income and we kind of just wrote when the inspiration hit over the past couple years there's no real deadline or we gotta do this or let's make a record or you know this is our whatever career what do you whatever you want to call it probably the wrong word for a punk band but (laughs) you you know what i mean like so yeah there's like no pressure and just kind of natural i guess yeah and you're right it's easier to create when your back's not against actually to to come up with schedules and times like that because you know it's like writing your first record you've written your you take your whole life to write your first record you only have a year and a half to write your second so you better keep you know what i mean it's like that's how those bands they just keep it going because they keep writing but i like the because this is like a snapshot right this isn't like this is like maybe a little bit of time put together to put all these songs together. So it's yep. like, this is a snapshot of the time that you're going through as a band or as people. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not 20 year old kids anymore. You know what I mean? And life is yeah. a, uh, life's complicated. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely tough and complicated. Uh, you know, it's definitely a lot of the, the lyrical content has to do with, who I am now at 46 or 47 years old. I'm sorry. I forgot I turned 47, but, uh, you know, just kind of where my head is at these days or where my heart is at. It's kind of like some of the lyrics touch on, but it's definitely, it was over the course of like, you know, two and a half, three years we wrote it. Mm-hmm. So you have a song like bully and blue, which obviously there's been racism in the police department, and, you know, cops getting away with murdering you know, black people for, hundreds of years, a couple hundred years now really yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean but i'm not trying to laugh about it i'm just saying it's always yeah. been there but it was more prevalent and very much in our face now because of the access to phones and filming and everyone sees it now you know what i mean like you see it but that was you know we i wrote that song almost three years ago yeah so it's been over the course of a couple of years like, like i said we were only writing when inspiration hit yeah you know what i mean so it's like once we had whole lot of songs we just pick the ones we like the most yeah there is something scary about you know obviously police like profiling people and racial profiling and 
The scary part of it is that they have cameras on them and they're still doing the same stuff they did 10 years ago. And part of me feels that you're doing that. You don't, you don't care. Like you don't care if somebody, you know, which in fact creates more of a problem and more fear, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, in part, maybe that's another thing that we were talking about earlier. People should go into community service at a young age to experience, you know, the other side of things and yeah. get to know people who maybe aren't like you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying police job, police, police officer jobs is, is very difficult. It's not, come on, let's, let's begin, let's call it what it is. You I mean like everybody hates you, you know, everybody hates who you are and what you do and what you stand for, even though it's, it's obviously the, the there's bad cops and there's good cops and, and that's the same thing with rich people and poor people, man. Yeah. There's always going to be bad and good. You just, I think it'd be an easier way to cut down on the bad. Yeah. If we did things like this, like programs to where, you know, maybe you're finishing your, your last, you know, year in the police academy, you know, you go feed the homeless for a year in yeah. a neighborhood that maybe you weren't used to growing up in. You yeah. know, it can be reversed any way you want. You yeah. know, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Just, you know, I'm sure it's easy to figure out, like you have counselors at all these places. It's yeah. sure that it's easy to figure out what program maybe to put you in to get you used to being around other people that maybe you're not normally around. Yeah, that's true. And they fundamentally changed how police work is done. I know they've done it here, obviously done it in America, that, you know, 50 years ago, the guy who was the police officer on the beat, he was from that neighborhood. You know what I mean? So when he's walking around, he's seeing the kids running around and there's sort of a, a respect, you know, and, and of people, you know, of, of each other because he lives down the street from me. I had a brother-in-law who was in the DEA and he just wouldn't let anybody know where he lived because he was afraid, you know what I mean? Obviously, for obvious reasons, you know. Yeah, so, you know, people... But like you just said, I mean, that's a big part of it, man. The police don't get to know the community they're policing. Yeah. Because maybe they're probably not from it, you know? Yeah, Huge, man. Huge part of that problem. Well, we got to play the bully in blue song. <laughs> now that we've been talking about it.
was that really cool DIY spot in Winnipeg? It was like a big old, looked like an old like church or school hall. Oh, it was the West End Cultural Center. Yeah, that place is great. Yeah, that place was amazing. Yeah, that and the place, people that ran that place were pretty awesome too. Um, yeah, everyone was really righteous every time we ever played there. I loved it. Yes, yeah. Now recording, um, recorded. It's amazingly, by the way. Like it's it's as a you know person. I'm a connoisseur of music, and I like hearing music, and I don't like hearing it too loud. And we were talking in while the song was playing that this is down to obviously the people working on it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Roger Lima from Lesson Jake produced it. He was a big part of the way it sounded for sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jason Livermore at Blasting Room or yeah. yeah, the Blasting Room. He uh he mixed it and it was uh pretty mind blowing. He nailed the mixes. We barely changed anything on those mixes at all. Mm-hmm. He sent them in, and we were just like, "He's like, all right, well, what do you want us to change?" And we we're just like, "Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> it was he did they, those. We had a good good circle of close friends working on it because we've all known each other for years, and and I've actually worked with Jason on two other records. So okay. Yeah, that's that place. That blasting room place is pretty fantastic, and uh, and I I've known Bill and Stefan and and Carl, and back in like the all days with Scott Reynolds and then Chad Price, and but um, we were more of that. Um, what was it? it was the Percolator days and All Roy Saves and that type of era of. Uh, I saw all on the Percolator tour. Yeah, so did we. You know what? The funny thing about that, I think we came to Detroit to see that show. I think we did. Yeah, St. Andrews. Yeah. It was either there or it was Buffalo. I can't remember. (laughs) So long ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was such a great... Because that record, too, that was one of those moments. That Percolator record was a moment where, holy shit, because they recorded that that at Ardent, like an actual... That place in Tennessee? I've heard of it. Yeah, it's a very famous... Like, that's where, like, Big Star recorded and stuff like that, like the uh, number one record and stuff. And it's done by... Oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in shit because I forgot his name. But he's a very famous record producer, and he mixed it, I believe. But that was like, oh my God, punk rock doesn't need to sound like garbage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like such a good sounding yeah. record. They though they um, it's weird how they're not like. I don't know. I don't understand how all is not. Is I don't know. They're so good, you know. Like I just don't understand how they're not bigger than they are. You know, they're just such a phenomenal band dude, in yeah. general like, i i almost sort of lean towards all these days more than i do the descendants which is crazy mm-hmm. you know, i love the descendants but man some of the all stuff they did is just it's phenomenal man yeah it's pretty i mean i know that when they got signed to interscope they used that label for everything that the label could give them but they went in with eyes open like they knew they were going to sell a billion records but they gladly took their money, and from my opinion, that's how Blasting Room was started, because they got, yeah, actually got they, enough they, money to sort of put it into a real studio. They they bought their own PA too, didn't they? Off of that yeah. Line? And then they bought they bought the box trucks and converted them. They took all that money and did all that. Oh money. yeah, I remember seeing those on War Tour. They're like they're like three ton trucks or something like that. They're like pretty, you know, yeah. badass. You know, this will never break. Because I do remember the school bus. If you remember the school yeah, bus. No, they, yeah, we toured with them in the Descendants when they had those trucks. Yeah, yeah, they put their own they put their own uh, generators in them and everything. Man, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but that bus they had, I remember that broken down big bus school bus they had. Uh, yeah, it broke down so many times, and they were actually <laughs> on tour, and we were supposed to see them in in Winnipeg when I lived in Winnipeg, and the, they were stuck at the border, but it was them. 
my name and uh, in the same van the descendants van because the bus had broken down and they were so late and they ended up making it to the show but they like literally got on just started playing and bill had the flu and it was just like how and it was in the winter you know and we're in winnipeg in the winter it's I, I don't know if you've been there but it's pretty damn cold pretty bad yeah i've never been there in the winter but i can only imagine your fingers freeze if you keep them exposed that's that's how bad it is there uh, I'm surprised. Yeah. I, I worked in a freezer for about seven or eight years straight of uh, <laughs> a job and now. Yeah. And I would work 12 hours a day and 12 below. Oh, wow. And it probably, it probably still wasn't as cold as that. So, no, no, no. But it was, it was cold. No <laughs> there's no wind, there's no wind chill inside of a building. So no, that's easy. true. I remember I spilled my coffee on my hand and I went to open my door to the van and I realized I had made a huge mistake. My thumb actually stuck to the door. So I had to use more coffee. <laughs> To, to pour under my thumb so I could get the, my thumb off the door. It was bad. Well, I spent. At least you're smart. What's that? At least you're smart. You're quick. <laughs> well, it was like coffee, thumb, frozen. Ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, um, I don't miss those days, though. I mean, honestly, I'm okay being at home, not touring anymore. And, you know, and, you know, I'm sure. A little bit of stability in life is there's nothing wrong. Like a lot of punk rockers are like suffer for their art and I get it. But, you know, so I, everybody I talk to seems to think, you know, it's better sleeping in your own bed and having your own bathroom and than it is, you know, being an See, angry. My, old... my, my experience is different, though. Mm -hmm. uh, my my oldest daughter now, uh, she started crying and being upset that I was gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And. And I, that was it. I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I've got six kids. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it was just, uh, it was, it just was becoming too hard to, to leave them, you know? Yeah. I'm in the boat. I'm in your, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I had a band in the early two thousands and we went to Europe a bunch of times and, and my, we have, I remember taking a video of me playing acoustic and talking to the camera cause my son was one years old. I was like, well, He's not gonna remember who I am when I come back, so I might as well show this video of you know on the on the TV of what's who the, that's your dad, <laughs> and uh, same thing. It got to the part where we we did this tour last minute, and it was really bad. It was a really stupid thing to do because I was in band mode. You know what I mean? Like being a musician is like being the most selfish person on earth most of the time, right? Like it's you gotta <laughs> yeah yeah. It's true. It's true, man. Yeah. Well, I I'm gonna play one more song because their songs are they're short, so I want to play uh, I want to play another one. Do you have one you want to play? I mean, man, I guess just play to maybe put on to play teaser just because that's the one that you know has the video or whatever. I guess.
So we're we're talking a little bit about pulling favors and sort of like the scene and how the scene sort of pays itself back and in a way, you know, like there's always that it seems to be heightened when you're in in a in a scene that's so tight. When you put in, it seems like you get way more back than you've put in. Is that a fair assumption? That is Detroit anyways. Yeah. I don't know what the grand scale of it would be as far as across the United States or it, it kind of does work out in the world though too because we've done the DIY and favor pulling in places like England and you know Japan and South Korea and Puerto Rico and like we've done all that stuff like DIY yeah, Australia completely DIY we've never done like companies you know and it was kind of like but in Detroit it definitely goes a long way a lot everyone takes care of each other in Detroit the best they can you know mm-hmm. I would say that that's a, a big huge part of it here for sure. Yeah, there's there's definitely strong scenes and, and not as strong scenes when it comes to certain cities. And I can't be the one I don't know anymore. But I do remember going like throughout the 2000s in parts of the United States and going, the scene, it sort of does sort of focus around one specific uh, body of person or a group or a club or something that it all focuses and goes out from there. Like Santa Cruz has got a, had an amazing kind of like the scene of people like, it felt like, being in Winnipeg where people would have brunch or something and hang out and they had a respect for each other. And uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that's still a strong thing anymore where it goes from city to city. Yeah. Like I, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Like we had done that. If you look at the, to play Caesars, if you stabbed it that video, you know, that is done at the squat in Detroit, but it was a fundraiser for the food down class. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, everyone was kind of, scratching each other's back so to speak doing that you know whether it be the bands or everyone we we're cooking like i guess that's where i was going with it. you were talking about how everyone's having brunch yeah well if you went to that show yes some people were you know drinking it's anarchist collective so yeah some people are drinking and smoking weed and stuff but like I mean, we had full-on tables full of food and everyone's eating too yeah. you know what i mean that's kind of it there's, a, there's definitely a community family vibe in the train people more you help out people the more it seems to be that that pays forward a lot of times at least here yeah at least, at least here yeah it's a testament of you guys though being able to actually have that connection to something that is an integral part integral part of of the city and the scene you know and in keeping it alive is you know i i it's a it's an ongoing thing and sometimes there's a group of people that f- sort of pass through. You're like, ah, man, why, 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 how is this turned into this? And I guess it's all about trends and how things become more popular or un- not as popular. But, you know, it seems to me like punk rock is sort of nicely under the radar again, where it's like, oh, so you know, we can navigate around without having to worry about assholes. Well, see, yeah, I mean, there's a lot less here than there used to be, for sure, but I- the strange thing, I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, I don't know. Once I stopped touring and it became like, I mean, I was still touring on and off with all my other bands like Break Anchor and Hellmouth and stuff, but you know, we weren't touring very much at all. Mm-hmm. And I kind of became more interested in being part of something that wasn't, had anything to even do with music. Mm-hmm. Even though it was still some punks involved doing a lot of activism but it was a lot of very normal people involved in you know protesting and shutting down like the ice facility here in detroit and stuff like that you know what i mean like 
that sort of thing. And I'm not saying I'm an activist. Cause I don't even like that word at all. Cause I'm not. I'm just saying that it interested me more to become part of that, and it became less interesting to be a part of the music. Could be a part of the reason why I stopped booking shows as well. Yeah, I was more into like making sure we were getting water up to Flint and stuff like that. <laughs> and like, to me, that became more. I don't know. I hate to say the word rewarding, but it became. It was just like, to me, it was more important to do that than even care about the music at all. Mm-hmm. So, my my vision of what the scene is and who are assholes and not these days is a little bit detached because I, I don't hang out so much with. In the band situations, as much we were talking about how I don't go to shows as much anymore yeah. because I'm doing things like that instead. Mm-hmm. I'd rather take my time doing something like that. Well, that's amazing. Well, you know, I uh, I'm glad I met you because it seems like we have met, but maybe we haven't. But I mean, well, I mean, I've been out with Good Riddance, you know, what I mean, uh, on the war tour, and yeah, you know, you know, with Bowling for Soup, yeah, did a few shows here and there with Sum 41, so I'm sure we had to have met. We had point. to have had to have. And Warp Tour was such a weird one because when I was out, I was with Sum 41 and we were doing a Warp Tour and it was just me. So I was like just me and the band rather than dealing with, you know, a whole road crew and tour bus. It was me and a van and these 17 year old kids. And uh, so it was really hard for me to actually socialize with anybody because I was like waiting for their, because they were also on a big record label. So it was like tough to just go and see bands and see what was going on. I was usually trying to just get them out of there so we could go, you know, sleep because I was the only one driving. But, um, Appreciate you doing the show, man. I and I uh, I wish you good luck on the record, and, and, and you know, stay safe. And uh, I uh, and anytime you want to do this again, man, you got my number. And uh, okay, uh, dude, thank you for being. Uh, thank you for being interested. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Appreciate, appreciate it, man. Thank you. That was Jason Navarro of Suicide Machines. That was fun, right? Felt good. Felt good. I I really enjoyed the the chat thank you jason for doing the show i appreciate it thanks melanie k for setting this up i don't think i give her enough credit for how many interviews she's given me i appreciate that melanie i hope you're doing well in this isolation which is a great john lennon song i just found it on the spotify covid19 list Hmm. okay what's happening i hope everybody i hope everybody's doing okay i i uh i want to make sure I mean, this is the everybody's topic of conversation right now, but I'm going to try to not have to keep talking about what's happening with everybody because eventually it will it will go away, and we'll have to. This will be you know a blip in basically human whatever involvement in society. It is a very special thing because, like I said before, we are all dealing with this at the same time. Everybody in the world is ever maybe like dumb people and people like very very far north or very very far south yeah those are the three people that are not dealing with this so i I, maybe i'm i'm wrong in my assumption so anyways next week i'm gonna possibly put a few more live ones out stay tuned for all of that good stuff and uh i hope you have uh you know a wonderful week wash your hands bye